0: Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name that is above every other name, the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. We come to you in the high and holy, the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, and ask that you would open your word. And open our hearts, and open our eyes and our minds, that we may come to know you in all of your honor. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's good to worship with you this morning and to be here in this place. The book, The Final Salute, um, tells the story of Major Steve Beck. He's a a U.S. Marine whose heart-wrenching task is to inform the nearest of kin when a Marine is killed in the line of duty. He doesn't just break the news to them, but he's the one who helps them walk through that process, ministers to them. He even oversees the honor guard that comes to salute their fallen Marine in the funeral service. And if you've noticed, they um, offer what he calls a slow salute. It's on a three count, and then it holds for three seconds, and then three seconds down. And his rationale for that salute, which takes nine times longer than normal, is a salute to your fallen comrade should take time. Indeed, those who uh, die serving their country are worthy of great honor, worthy of a slow salute, worthy of extra time. Because to do some things fast, uh, just to get them done so we can move on to the next thing in our lives, would send a subtle message, wouldn't it? A message of disrespect. And so it is with worship of our Heavenly Father. We cannot hurry honor. God deserves a a slow salute, and the Savior who gave his life for us and rose again is worthy of our time. He's worthy of all of our time. Malachi wrote to some who honored the name of the Lord and some who dishonored the name of the Lord, but he left them with the strong impression that our honorable Heavenly Father not only deserves honor but he delights in those who honor him so would you honor him with me by standing as we read his word today Malachi chapter 3 i really want to read just a few verses a verse from chapter 1 a verse from chapter 2 and then our central passage where we've come to in our study Malachi 3:13 to 18 and then one more verse in chapter 4, Malachi 1, verse 6, A father's honor. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. Then in chapter 2, verse 10, he asked this question, have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? And then in chapter 3, verse 13, again our focal passage will camp out here this morning. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You said, it is futile to serve the Lord. And what did we gain by carrying out His requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed, certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them. Just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and those who do not. And then in chapter 4, verse 6, this last verse, talking about um, the revival that will come. And Elijah He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. You may be seated. Did you know that your heavenly Father's heart is turned towards you? His heart is turned towards you. And in these verses, Malachi, more than any other Old Testament prophet, gives us a picture of what Jesus is going to make so clear some hundreds of years later. That God, who is a, a just judge, as we have talked about recently, that God, who is almighty, that God, who is a great Savior, that God, who is the Prince. Of peace and the master of the mighty, the king of kings and lord of lords, is also a faithful father. Now, Jesus will teach us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. But Malachi, 400 years before, shows us just a glimpse of who God is. And what he says is, God is the kind of father who deserves honor. God is the kind of father. Who invites us to live honorable lives in our relationships with each other. God is the kind of father who delights in those who honor him. And God is the kind of father who wants to turn the hearts of fathers toward their children. And the hearts of children toward their fathers. I knew I needed to tell you today that your heavenly Father's heart is turned towards you. When I was sitting with a friend of mine, a friend I hadn't seen in 30 years, his dad knew my dad and we each knew each other's dads when we were growing up, and I said to him after 30 years, so tell me about your life, and he began to unpack a lot of pain, as some of us can as we think about our past, and he said, the last words my dad ever said to me when I graduated early from high school and followed in his footsteps enlisting in the military was he said to me you will never amount to anything and having said that to me he said i decided i would live the rest of my life to prove him wrong while my friend was away in military service unexpectedly his father passed away and they never had a chance and they would have if they'd had the chance To clarify those words, to change that conversation. And so I wanted to say to you your heavenly Father's heart is turned toward you. And I wondered are our hearts turned toward Him? Because the thing about our Father is, He so deserves our honor, He so delights in those who honor Him, that He will spare us, He will spare us the dishonor of living dishonorable lives if we will allow Him to. There is much that our Heavenly Father would protect us from if we would simply receive it today. Our Heavenly Father deserves honor. That's why in chapter 1, verse 6, I just read quickly through it the first time we were reading chapter 1 a few weeks ago. He says, if a father deserves honor. Because everybody in ancient Israel knew that fathers deserve honor. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. Jesus repeats that. The Apostle Paul repeats that. It is replete in Scriptures that those who are fathers deserve to be honored. And the Heavenly Father says, If I am a father, which would have been an unusual thought, if I may say, in the ancient Israelite mind. They knew God as a great judge. They knew Him in a lot of ways. But God says, If a father deserves honor, and I am a father don't I get some honor? Where is the honor? And he asked the question we learn in chapter 3, verse 13, because some people were dishonoring him. He says, you have said harsh things about me. On face value, if you hear somebody saying something badly about God, you, you know those people are wrong. Like when you walk through the bookstore and see Christopher Hitchens' book and his title, God is not great. Immediately you think, this guy's in left field. He's all wet. I mean, anybody who would say that God is not great doesn't really know God, prompting Dinesh D'Souza to write the book What's So Great About Christianity. But he's not talking about atheists here. If you look at verse 13, these are some of God's people. And I want you to hear their attitude because it might someday tempt you and I in some way we might be tempted to to project a very similar sentiment. These people are the forefathers or forerunners, we would say, of the Pharisees. And what they say is, It is futile to serve God. They're saying, what's the point? It's vain to serve God. And then listen to what they say. What did we gain? Do you hear it? They're scorekeepers. And they've been keeping score. And in their minds, they've done a lot for God. And in their minds, he hasn't done a lot for them. In fact, they've got their own little list of beatitudes there in verses 14 and 15. Blessed are the arrogant, they say. Blessed are the evildoers, for they prosper. Blessed are those who literally shake their fist in the face of God, who test God, because they seem to escape. They say, you know, here we are doing the right things. And I read this this week, and do you know who came to my mind? Maybe this person came to your mind as well. The older brother of the prodigal son. Remember remember when the, brother, the younger brother comes home, and the father welcomes him and throws the party, and the older brother won't even come inside for the party, and the father pleads with him and says, come on in, your, your brother's home. And he says, all these years I've slaved for you and you wouldn't even give me a goat here you've killed the fattened calf for my brother who squandered your living but not me no no I couldn't even get a goat for me and my friends now knowing the father in the story of the prodigal son knowing our heavenly father does anybody here doubt if the older brother had asked for a goat do you think his father would said, no not for you I mean he he gave the prodigal one third of his living when the prodigal said I wish you were dead I think he would have given the faithful son a goat. No, the problem in the story is not with the father, but with the attitude of the older brother. And God says, I deserve honor, and you have spoken harsh words against me. And they have come to doubt the goodness of God. And I'll tell you, if your mindset in worshiping God is that of keeping score, you may at some point find yourself in a state of of doubt. I don't know if you've seen this little movie called Doubt, and Meryl Streep, who is just brilliant, who plays a very nefarious and sardonic role in this movie. She she plays the role of a nun who makes a false accusation against a priest and then will not be confused by the facts. And at the end of the day, she is boasting and braggadocious about the fact that she has gotten this priest run off. But then... She confides in another young nun who knows the truth and doesn't believe her at all. She confides in this young nun, but I have doubts. And those who want to keep score with God may come to the place as we say, What did I gain? What did I get out of the deal? Do we, are we out of our minds? Do we think worshiping God is about getting what we deserve? Scratching his back so he can scratch ours when we need him to. Worship is not about getting from God what we deserve. Worship is about giving to God what he deserves. And he deserves honor. The Hebrew word is kavod. It is a word that literally means weight. Our father, here's the image, is a heavy weight. He carries a lot of weight. And he deserves weight in our lives. We ought to give him Value. We ought to value what he values. We ought to give him his worth, his worship, his worship. We should give him honor because our heavenly father deserves it, and he deserves it because he is honorable. Recently, I've been thinking about my own father, whom we call affectionately Jake, and I notice about my dad that he sees potential in things and people, and he hates. For it to be wasted. In fact, um, recently he was down here, and my younger brother, like I, has not a mechanical bone in his body. My father, on the other hand, is a, is a brilliant mechanic. I mean, if it's possible to be brilliant at that, he really is. And, and so. My little brother had a problem with his car. He thought his, his, battery was, uh, his, his, his battery was out, so he went and bought a new battery. And then my dad came down and tested the other battery and said it wasn't the battery at all and fixed the car and took the battery, the old battery in and got it replaced on warranty so that my brother had an extra new battery sitting in his garage. Now this, for my father, was a matter of some concern. In fact, from time to time, he would call my brother and ask about the battery. How is the battery? Do you still have the battery? And at one point he said, you know, I'd like to buy that battery from you. And my brother said, you can't buy that battery from me. You got it for me for free. I'll give you the battery for free. And my father was down here one time and he said, but I flew down. I don't think they'll let me take it back on the plane. <laughs> now this became a matter of concern for him. And so over a period of time he called my brother, he called me, and he figured out he was coming down for one of my nephews' graduation, his grandson's graduation, and that one of us from Houston, if we were coming up to the graduation, might bring the battery with us. And he was willing to make an exchange for the battery. He didn't want it for free. He was going to give my brother a toolbox. I'm not exactly sure what he thought my brother was going to do with the toolbox, but he wanted that, as he calls it with two syllables, battery. I want the battery. And so my brother and I, the night before I was going up to the graduation, my brother couldn't go up. My brother called me and said, you've got to come get the battery. You can't go to Dallas without it. And I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll figure out a way. What's going on with you And I said, well, Andrew's playing in a playoff game. I said, well, I'll bring Casey. Casey had never met Andrew and John and Samuel, my brother's little boys. And so I said, we'll come watch Andrew play baseball, and then I'll get the battery. And so I mean, I'm talking like my father. And so, I, you know, my brother says, here, the battery is no longer mine. It's yours. And I put it in my car, and I drove to Dallas. And I just thought, you know... When I get there, it'll be interesting if maybe we could just sort of play a little trick on Dad. You know, just, you know, because this seems to be very important to him. I walked in the graduation celebration and my two older brothers were standing there. And the first words they said were, did you bring the battery? And I said, yes, I did. But I don't think we should tell Dad that. I think here's what we should say. Dad, I stopped at a Starbucks. The battery was in the back floorboard. The thieves did not take my laptop. They didn't take my wallet. They didn't take my money. But they took the battery. But we couldn't pull it off because you have to get up really early to fool Jake. And so, my dad, you—a sun has never risen with more glory than the smile on my father's face when I placed the battery firmly in his hand. And he took the battery and gave me the toolbox and we made the exchange and he was absolutely delighted. And I've thought so much about the weight of the battery and this word, honor, which means weight. And I'll tell you about that. My father can buy a battery. We could buy him batteries. In fact, we thought at one point we might just buy him one just to sort of end the discussion. Except he didn't just want any battery. He wanted that battery because he didn't want that battery to be wasted because he sees potential in things and he doesn't want them to be wasted. So from time to time when a family member of ours will do the unthinkable and think about not going to college, which my father was not allowed to do when he was young, He gets on the phone and says, no, I will help them go to college because they need to go to college because he doesn't. We were walking on the bayou when all these things were going on with Casey and all the court hearings. And I was so frustrated because I couldn't tell the judge what I thought. And all the people who were talking for Casey didn't know Casey. And so they weren't representing the situation well and all of that. And I said, dad, I just don't know how hard to push. And he stopped and looked at me and he said, you can't push too hard. Not if you're trying To rescue her from that situation. You cannot try too hard. He's consistent isn't he? He sees potential in people. And he doesn't want that to be wasted. And to honor our fathers and our heavenly fathers at some level. Is to value the valuable things that they value. To honor the things that they honor. To give weight to them because they are such heavy weights in a good way. They give stability and strength to our lives. And our Heavenly Father deserves that kind of honor. He deserves the full weight of our confidence and our lives and our love. And not only does He deserve our honor, but He delights in those who honor Him. So after the people have had their conversation about how futile it is to serve the Lord, then notice with me, if you will, in verse 16 it says, Then those who feared the Lord. I was wondering if that's you than those who feared the Lord. And he identifies them again as those who honor his name, those who serve him. And he picks that word up again when he says, like a father spares his son with compassion, the son who serves him. There's, um, in the language of Ghana, the only way to say, where do you worship, is to say, whom do you serve? To follow God is to be a servant. And he says, if you will serve me, if you will fear me, the word awful comes to mind because it is to be filled with awe. We've made it a bad word, but if you look in the old Webster's Dictionary, the word awful means inspiring awe. It means um, incredibly um, influential and highly impressive. Our God is awful and we fear him he fills us with awe and we honor his name there's that word again at the end of verse 16 those who give honor to his name and just notice about those who fear the lord that when they get together perhaps as you did in bible study those who feared the lord last hour came together and talked about the lord and honored his name that he takes note of that in fact what it says in these verses is that that he will um Verse 16, that a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord. It's like, remember in the the book of Esther when Mordecai does a favor for Xerxes the king and Xerxes says, write that down in my book. I want to remember that. And that's in chapter 2, verse 23. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, the king says, didn't that guy Mordecai do something for him? Get that book out. And they open up the book and read what he did. Here's the deal. We don't have to keep score in what we do for God. Because he can keep score. He knows what we have done. He knows the score, as it were. So we don't have to remind him what we've done for him. We don't have to tell him about the great sacrifices we've made for him. He already knows. And he not only knows, but he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so he says that the father takes note of those who honor him. But it's better than that. He not only takes note, he takes delight in them. I see it there in verse 17 when he says, they will be mine. They will be mine. They will belong to me, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, that word in Hebrew is segula. It's only used eight times in the Old Testament. The first two times, it is used of King David's personal treasure that he's willing to give for the building of the temple. Here's the deal. If you're a king in the Old Testament, everything belongs to you, but you've got to have some treasure box where you keep the things that are most valuable and treasured to you. Perhaps coins, money, um, keepsakes, Objets d'art, things that are very valuable to you. And you treasure those things. The first two times it's used about King David taking out of that to make an offering. The other six times it's used of Israel. That is, God says, I will make you. Look, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein, Psalm 24 says. Everybody belongs to God. But what if God says in the Old Testament, but Israel is my chosen And what if in the New Testament all the titles that appertain to Israel in the Old Testament pertain to the church, to you and me? And we become God's chosen people not to replace Israel but to fulfill all that God ever intended for Israel so that all people everywhere might become God's treasured possession. Imagine God valuing us like that, delighting in us. In that way. And then he says, delivering us, he says, when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them. You can read chapter 4 and see what happens to the people who don't serve the Lord at the end. But he's talking about those who do serve the Lord. And he says, I will spare them. And the people of the Old Testament looked forward to that. And you and I who live A.D., not B.C., we look back and remember that God has spared us. Isn't he worthy of Our honor. In fact, on NPR recently, in a little series called This I Believe, John W. Fountain, who is a professor at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, tells about um, his father and his belief. And this is what he says in this little series, This I Believe. He says, I believe in God. On NPR, he said, I believe in God. In God, not the one who always was and always will be as some see him mystically up in the sky. I believe in the God who embraced me on the day when they took my father out in handcuffs when I was four years old. I believe in the God who warmed me when we couldn't afford to pay the gas bill so that we could see the breath in our apartment in Chicago in the wintertime and somebody warmed me and I believe in God. I believe in the God who took me firmly by the hand when some of my compatriots and friends in the neighborhood were being washed away in the justice system. I believe in the God who claimed me When I thought I was the son of no man, I believe in the God who sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to be my deliverer and redeemer, He said. I believe, I believe in the God who was warmth when I was cold and who was a voice when people said, You are nothing that said, You can be something. I believe in that God, he said. And in a long overdue conversation with my own earthly father, I stood over his grave and I said, I wish you could know the man I have become. I wish you could be with me now. And I want you to know that even in your absence, I have found a father, or should I say, a father has found me. And I looked across the table at my friend whom I hadn't seen in 30 years and said, if your dad could talk to you now, how proud he would be of who you've become and all that you have done But in His absence, may I say on behalf of the Heavenly Father, He takes delight in you. You are His treasured possession. Now isn't He worthy of a slow salute? And isn't He worthy of our worship, of our honor? Worship well. He hears, he sees, he knows, and he wants us to know him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are here among your people, that we are not alone, that we have never been alone, not one moment in our lives have we ever been alone because you have been here all the while. Help us now, I pray, not only to perceive your presence, but to practice your presence and to give you honor, your honor, because you are honorable and help us to live honorable lives in honor of you, we pray. Amen.